Good joy to be here. Many translations of the Bible come out. And I remember one called the Amplified Bible. And there was a verse translated there that's always gripped me and stayed with me from James and chapter 5. Let me read it to you from the Amplified Translation. It says this, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The Amplified was trying to bring out some of the riches of each of these Greek words that are translated and people have to choose this word or that word. The Amplified just gave you opportunity to see something of the strength that's behind the statement. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And then James, having said that, I guess his mind goes to where can I illustrate that from? And then it says, Elijah, and I love the NIV here, was a man just like us. It doesn't look like a man just like us, but that's the Bible's assessment. Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed, and it rained. And something about Elijah, and Elijah's praying, that I think captivates our hearts perhaps more than anybody, although we'll speak of Moses later on. These great Bible heroes who knew how to get hold of God in such a dramatic way and see things happen as they got hold of God in believing prayer. And so Elijah, he's one also associated with, yes, the coming of rain. And of course, that's always been identified with the whole subject of God coming in revival blessing. And often stories of people who prayed for revival and saw revival, they're praying, Lord, send the rain, send the rain. So Elijah is a a very dramatic figure, and he prayed. Let me just remind you of the actual story where it says, following the amazing lightning or fire, rather, that fell from heaven, and consumed the offering, and then Elijah being thoroughly vindicated, having been terribly outnumbered, and the judgment of God falling on the prophets of Baal. Then we read this in 1 Kings 18 and 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, drink and eat and drink, for there's a sound of a roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, He crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up, look now toward the sea. He went up, looked, and said, There's nothing. He said, Go back seven times. It came about on the seventh time. He said, Behold, a cloud, as small as a man's hand, is coming up from the sea. He said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot. Go down so that the heavy shower doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sea grew black with clouds, the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind, and there was a heavy shower. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing interventions. We thank you, Lord, in church history. Lord, you've come with great intervention. Lord, we can't calculate where we'll be at any given time because you're the living God who interrupts, who breaks through. And Father, we're here because we believe in you and we see the state of our nation, we see the state of Europe, 
nation after nation, Lord, people needing the breakthrough of God. And so, Father, as we look at your word together this evening, please let the mighty Holy Spirit rest upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Let truth invade our inner being, persuade us profoundly, change our lives, be glorified because we focus on you together now. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's remind ourselves of this story. We see that Elijah has been vindicated. The fire has fallen from heaven. The word is, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then the first thing we see after this excitement is Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. So Elijah, in the midst of the euphoria, in the midst of his own personal vindication, withdraws from the crowd. And I'm sure that reminds you of somebody that we love and worship. Jesus was never shaped by the pressure of the crowds. He never allowed anybody else to impose their agenda on him. He had his own agenda, which had uh, in it that withdrawal to be with his father. So here we find Elijah withdrawing from the crowd to get alone with God for the next phase of what God was going to do. And here he's showing us a wonderful model, and Jesus himself not only did it, but also taught it. He said to his disciples, look, look, withdraw and be with your father. And we find that the apostles, even after they saw thousands saved, Having been with Jesus for three years, when they saw thousands saved and, and people beginning to be added and a glorious church suddenly bursting into existence with a mixture of Jewish uh, followers of Christ and Greek followers and some tensions beginning to come, they think, well, something needs to be done about this. But they're quick to make a decision. We must choose men full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith and wisdom. Let them look after this. But we must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the world. We must give ourselves. They'd been with Jesus long enough to see the priority. We must give ourselves to prayer. So Jesus modeled that. Jesus taught that. And he said, now look, go into your inner room, close the door, and be with your Father in secret. Go to your inner room. Withdraw. We need to do that, Beloved, we need to keep that in a rhythm of our lives, not in order to earn points with God, not in order to prove something to Him, but in order to get hold of Him and draw down the mighty blessing of God. So we can go into a place, shut the door, that is putting yourself beyond distraction. I find for myself, you know, even with a door shut, uh, my brain goes through the walls out the window, so I find it helpful to just have a piece of paper there because I'm praying, oh yes, of that. I don't want to go off to that, so I'll quickly write that down, put it there, let's carry on with this. I'm praying now. I don't want to be interrupted, so I write on my little list. It's there when I finish praying, because I want to be with my Father. I want to be with Him. I want to get hold of Him. I want to obtain what is obtainable through this earnest, heartfelt prayer that is releasing power. It makes power available. And I remind God of that when I'm praying. Lord, I'm making power available. That's what you said, that's what I'm doing here. And we need to let God teach us to grow in that whole grace. So we need to find a place, some place you withdraw to. Where's yours? You've got a familiar place you go to to shut the door. Your kids know about it. Oh, Dad's in there. Yeah, I know he's always doing that. Is there a familiar place? Your wife knows where that is? The place where you go and you shut and you're with your father. 
you find this word father comes. Your father will seek you in secret. And that's an amazing father. You call him father. In the Old Testament, it says early on, Genesis 4, 26, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the first reference to prayer in the Bible. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Edmund Clowney says, USA slang for name is handle. What's your handle? It says name is it's not just, it's, it's, it's telling you who God is. The names of God give a revelation of God. So you can say, look, this is what you said about yourself. The Lord will provide. That's your name. I'm going to get hold of that handle. You're my provider. You're, you're, you're there. You're the God who's there. There's all sorts of wonderful names. We, can, we come to God in response to who he said he is. We're not whistling in the dark. God has told us his identity. God has told us about himself, and we respond to his revelation. Praying is responding to who God says he is. For us, he's our father. That's incredible. I'm sure when Mary and Joseph heard Jesus, the young boy, praying sometimes and saying, Abba, I'm sure they were shocked. This distant God, this transcendent God whose name you don't even utter. And there's Jesus praying, Abba. And Jesus is saying to us, when you pray, say, Father, draw near to your Father. Come right into a one who's utterly for you, tenderly loves you, huge ambition for you, preoccupied with blessing you. Come and be with your Father. Your Father knows what you need. It's amazing. Shut the door and be with your Father. Now, Elijah is withdrawing. He didn't have the privilege of saying, Father, but he knew God. He laid hold of God, he withdrew from the crowd, he wasn't being shaped by the euphoria, and he shut himself in with God. He's my father, we talk to him as our father. So that's the first thing, he withdrew. And if we're going to see the great success we long for, if we're going to see churches that grow in maturity and strength and see leaders that grow and muscle developing and prophetic revelation breaking through and loving relationships of mercy and people beginning to grow and go and do it again and again and again, it has to be carried along by a praying people, a praying people. Arthur Wallace said this, any claim to a baptism in the Spirit which leaves our prayer lives unaffected must be at best a very superficial work. The baptism of the Spirit introduces Father, Abba, Father. We're brought into a relationship with God. It's not just nominal, it's something we feel and it releases faith in our hearts. We draw near, we withdraw from the crowd. He began to pray to Father. Then notice this, he prayed based on God's promise. It's a revelation of God's identity. This is who I am. And also he's coming in response to God's promise. God said to him, I will send the rain. Now that, you could say, well, that makes prayer redundant then. If God's already made up his mind, he's going to send the rain. What's, what's prayer all about? Why do we bother to pray? We need to see the response in the Bible. Because God making a promise doesn't make prayer redundant. It kind of kickstarts prayer. It draws prayer out of us. It, it's, God, you said this. And again, you'll see all these great heroes of prayer in the Bible. That's how they respond to God. God makes a promise. So there's a very famous one in Jeremiah 29, which says, I know the thoughts I have for you, the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Wow, thank you, Father. What a tremendous promise. What's the next verse say? 
then you will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all your heart. So God's saying, this is my promise to you now. Come on, come and seek me for that. I promise you blessing. I promise you a hope. I promise you a future. Now come on the basis of that. Come and ask me because that's what I want to do. That's my commitment to you. Philip Hughes says this, prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. A vital prerequisite. Lord, you said you'd do it, but somehow you want me to pray for that. Somehow you want me to get hold of you for that. And so you find the story of Daniel, that Daniel reads in the uh, prophecy of Jeremiah that the, the captivity in Babylon would be 70 years He's got his newspaper and his Bible. He's aware of real history. He's aware of the scriptures. He says, hey, the 70 years are up. So he sets himself to seek the Lord. He doesn't run down the streets, hey, the 70 years are up. The seven. No, no, he goes to God. And he fasts and he prays and says, God, this is what you said. You promised after 70 years and the 70 years have gone. And he seeks God and he seeks God 21 days. Then the angel comes to him and says, Oh man, greatly beloved, ever since the first day you sought, you've been heard. And, and, and God's history begins to break out. The purposes begin to roll because there's that response. And beloved, God's made amazing promises to a praying church that will call upon him. Call unto me, I'll answer you. I'll show you great and hidden things which you don't know. What a promise. When we gather to pray, when we gather, or when we're alone before God, Lord, we have these promises. We come to you in the light of what you said you would do. Andrew Murray says, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. We may and must most confidently expect an answer to our prayer. See, Jesus said that prayer, he introduced prayer again and again, actually, through the Gospels, and it's never simply about only being in the presence of God. Again and again, Jesus introduced prayer on, on the basis of ask and you'll receive. Ask and you'll receive. He says it again and again. You are chosen to ask. And I also often use that in prayer, too, because it says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Thank you, Father. And I appointed you to go and bring forth fruit, Thank you, Father. Whatever you ask in my name. So each of us is a God-appointed asker. I've chosen you. That's what you can ask. Beloved, we've got access. We've got incredible privileges. God says, now come and ask. Come and ask. And I'll hear you. I'll respond to your asking. Dr. Curtis Mitchell says, in this simple statement, Prayer is set forth as the primary human factor in the accomplishment of God's program on earth. Christ asserted that divine action in some mysterious manner is conditional on believing prayer. Therefore, prayer is set forth as the chief task of the believer. Prayer is set forth as the chief task. Somehow God has interwoven his purposes with our praying. Somehow we honor Jesus, we honor God, when we say, Lord, we're looking to you, we're asking you. It's not some formal deal, it's our prime calling, it's the main thing that we've been caught, taught to do. Carson says, Paul counted on the prayers of the churches to gain for him what might otherwise not be given. 
He wrote to the churches, pray for me, pray for a door to open, pray for this to happen, pray for that. He wrote to the churches, come on, I want to get your prayers, I want to get your prayers, so that they might gain for him what might otherwise not be given. I want your prayers. I, want, I love the stories of J.O. Fraser, one of the greatest missionary heroes in the uh, old China inland mission. Such a mighty man of prayer. And he used to write letters home to his, his relations and friends. I want you praying. I want you praying. And he constantly fed them with information. And he said, what you're doing, what you're battling for, I'm here, you're there, but you're part of this battle. We're involved in this together. Just keep praying. Keep praying. And he saw phenomenal, phenomenal breakthrough of revival in Lisu land. Just an extraordinary breakthrough. And his whole story was, no, it's through God, through prayer. God will do it as we pray, as we look to him. So he's praying, and he's praying specifically. He doesn't say, oh God, please get the attention of these people. This nation's going after Baal. This nation's supposed to be representing you. They're supposed to be your people on earth. Your chosen people. And now in Israel, can you believe it? Nation of Israel that's supposed to be the light of the world, supposed to be God's instrument for lighting up the nations about the true God, it's now illegal to worship God in the nation. Illegal. God of Baal is now the one who is properly worshipped. Jezebel has had her way through there. Now it's illegal to worship. And, and what's happened to our land? In 58 short years since Solomon's reign, in 58 short years it's now illegal to worship Yahweh. We see that sort of thing happening in Western Europe. Laws changing, nation, culture changing, changing, changing. What happened? What happened? What's it illegal? You can't say that anymore? We need to pray, beloved. We say, Lord, where's your hand? We want to see you break through. That's the sort of thing that motivated and stirred him. And, and he didn't just say, Lord, catch their imagination, catch them up. He said something specific, stop the rain. Stop the rain. It's like us saying, Lord, ruin the banking system. Stop the oil supply. It's like he prayed this almost suicidal prayer for his nation because it's an agricultural nation. Stop the rain. And then he just went through it with them. Stop the rain. Bring us to our knees. Why did he say that? Well, we're back in Deuteronomy. God said to them when they went into the land, this is a land of hills and valleys. My eyes continually upon it. The rain will come, the latter rain, the former rain. My blessing will be on this nation, on the fruit. On the, there'll just be massive blessing. But if you go after other gods, I will close the heavens. I will stop the rain. That's what God has said. It's back there in Deuteronomy. So Elijah's not praying blind, he's praying with the revelation of God. God said, I'll do it. So here he's saying, Lord, stop the rain, stop the rain, stop the rain, and the rain stops. He's prevailed with God, he's got hold of God, he's very specific. God wants us to learn to pray more specifically. Even with Jesus, when he came to someone who's obviously sick, he would say, what do you want me to do? You tell me, what do you want me to do? Very specific. I love reading the story of uh, Yonggi Cho in his book, Prayer, the Key to Revival, one of the most provocative books on prayer I've ever read. And he's, he's saying, I couldn't get answers to my prayer. And I felt God said to me, ask specifically. You don't ask specifically enough. So he thought, well, what do I want? So he was still living, having these meetings in a small tent. He was nothing much happening yet. And uh, he didn't have an office or anything. And he said, 
Three things he wanted. He wanted a desk, a mahogany one. <laughs> he wanted a desk chair with little wheels on each of the legs so he could push himself back sometimes. And he wanted a bicycle so he could go and visit his church. So he began, Lord, I asked for these things. And he says, within a very short space of time, he said, a missionary guy left the country, left him his mahogany. Another guy gave him a chair. Another guy gave him a bike. He said, I've got all three of them. He said, I've got exactly what I wanted. I remember reading that when I was at a time when I was uh, in my first, when I first gave up my secular job. I was living by faith for a couple of years. And uh, sometimes it got quite tight. And I remember one time it was getting tight, and I'm saying, Lord, Father, I need some money. Uh, this is getting scary. Uh, please, Lord, some money, some money. And I felt God said to me, I want you to ask for the number of verses that are in a certain psalm. Ask me for that number of pounds. And sadly, it wasn't Psalm 119, but <laughs> I, I, don't, I honestly can't remember what psalm it was. But I remember feverishly looking up, what, is, what psalm? Let me quickly look, because it was so strong. Number of verses in that psalm. And I found it, I said, Lord, give me, and I asked specifically. And in the next week, from three different sources, added together exactly that number. Exactly that number. And it makes you think, whoa, God, you're here. It's not like generally, please keep supplying my need. It's Lord, we need this. Please can I have this? So you get that story when the, the, the friend at midnight comes and says, give me two loaves. It's not like, I need some help. Give me some help. No, give me two loaves. We'll come back to that story before I finish. But it's kind of specific. I'm, I, this is what I'm asking for. And I believe God wants us to learn to ask more specifically, not generally, to be more focused. So this is what we're after. This is what we're after. It's been some of the most exciting part of my Christian life, leading the church in Brighton years ago when we were after funds for our church building and our program. We used to have gift days three times a year, and uh, we'd be setting targets, and we'd be setting targets, and we'd gather every Saturday morning for our church prayer meeting. Every Saturday morning we gathered, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and we'd come and say, it's gift day this Sunday. And what we're looking for, we're looking for, and I remember we, we, we'd been We've been going for something like 20,000, and suddenly now we're going to go for this big building, and actually we said we're going to go for 100,000. I was like, ooh, 100,000, that's, that's, that's a big figure. And we're praying, we're praying, God, give us this 100,000. And while it's happening, I felt God whispered in my heart, you've got the 100, ask for more. I said, to the, I, said I believe God wants us to pray for 200,000. And we learned a lot together. It's one of the great privileges of leading church is to lead the church to prayer. Beloved, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, to lead your church to believing prayer is a high, high calling. A high calling. To, to teach them to know God, to teach them to get answers from God. We knew when we began to go for a big building, one or two people said, oh, God's not into bricks and mortar. They actually pulled out. One guy wrote me a letter and said, you don't, you're not in touch with the people. They can't rise to this. And you're really out of touch. You've taught us all along. It's people God's interested in, not bricks. Now you're going for bricks. You've really, and it was, you know, a pretty sad letter. And so I'm saying, come on, we're going to believe for this. We're going to pray for this. And as we're praying, I felt faith is rising in the room. And sometimes we pause during the prayer meeting and say, do you think, are we, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And people say, mm, no. come on, let's keep praying, keep praying. And we're all praying together. 
and some would pray, another one would lead out in prayer, and, and faith is rising, faith is rising. And I remember we said, Lord, give us this 200,000. And then we had our big gift day, great exciting day. And we only used to have it on one Sunday in those days, and then we spread it over a bit, because we find that lots of people aren't there any one Sunday. But we had this big day. I remember we were going to bed the next night, Wendy and I, I'm up in the bedroom, I heard the letterbox flip. I thought, what's that? Oh, this time at night, gosh. I rushed down the stairs, there's this envelope. It's back before days of cells and texts and things. This is going back a bit. And there's this envelope, and I recognized the writing. I thought, ooh, I know who that's from. I know that's, that's it. This is what the figure is. That's what's happened today. And I took the letter back upstairs to the bedroom. I thought, Lord, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And I slit it open and looked, and it said, today we gathered 250,000. I remember my knees gave way. It's a sack. And it's, it's not only the excitement of hitting the target, beloved. It's the, it's the thrill of having been at that prayer meeting. So we did it together. We did it. And you announced that on Sunday. Wow, people go crazy. Because they were there. and they, they, they fought the fight with you. They owned it with you. They, they rose with you. Leaders, lead your people to pray. Lead your people to pray. Lay hold of promises. See what God will do. Encourage faith. Let the Spirit teach you what to pray while it's happening. Lay hold of things. Next thing is this. He prayed fervently. All right? It says he prayed fervently. Great power in its working is what it says in the Amplified. Elijah's prayer had great prayer in its working. Alec Matias commentary says in, in James, says it was inherent strength, potency, power waiting to be released. He says Elijah's prayer carried a mighty punch. Had power in it. And literally, it says in verse 17, in prayer he prayed. In prayer he prayed. Carson says, pray yourself into prayer. That's a very good bit of counsel. Pray yourself into prayer. See, some of us, we say, oh, I can't pray. Pray yourself into prayer. We don't all feel great when we get to pray. Pray yourself into it. Let your, your spirit begin to work. Begin to, you see, praying, it says praying in the spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit. And sometimes when you begin to pray, it can feel it's a bit automatic, it's a bit cold, I'm saying my prayers. And then as you're doing it, as you're doing it, you begin to feel something happen. And you can sometimes feel, hey, something's kicking in. That, that's what I find, something, whoa, something's kicking in. There's an urgency that somehow, it's not my urgency, it's that I'm praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. And Paul says, I pray with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. So we become vehicles of the Spirit. We're praying in the Spirit. Now we also pray with the Spirit. Paul says in Corinthians, I pray with the understanding. I pray with the Spirit. Where I'm sure he's talking about praying with tongues. But praying in the Spirit is a kind of umbrella phrase. I think it includes praying with the Spirit. But it's also saying, when I'm praying in my mother tongue, but sometimes I feel the stirring. I feel, God, do I care this much about this? I don't know that I do. Oh, God, do it, do it. And you feel you're being carried along. It's like the wind caught your sail. You feel, hey, there's an energy here. And dear friends, when that starts happening, 
in a group. That's why I love praying with twos and threes. I love praying with twos and threes. What happens sometimes, you say, there's a prayer meeting tonight. You know, and two or three turn up and you say, well, you did say when two or three are gathered. <laughs> I love it when there's two or three. It's one of my favorite ways of praying. I've got young guys coming to my home seven o'clock in the morning, different guys, different mornings. I love praying, two or three of us. Because somehow we can get, we get, we just get stirred in one of those praying. I find myself drawn out. He prays that, yes, 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 yes. Then I pray, then yes, yes, whoa, whoa, Lord, do it. I learned to pray with a guy who was five years older than me. He, was, he knew Christ much longer before I did. And I used to start praying with him. He taught me to pray. Maybe some of you older ladies could know, you know, you praying women, you wonderful praying women. There's lots of young mums in the church who'd be so thrilled if you said, do you want to come pray with me? Or some of you young mums, you know, these godly women say, can I come and pray with you, please? Let them teach us to pray. Let them draw us into prayer so that we begin to see its power. Jacob, we're told, wrestled with God. He says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. You find Moses, I love the story of Moses. It says in Exodus 32, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. I've seen this people, obstinate people. And Moses says, this, your people, who you brought up. It's wonderful. This Moses is so, he just prevails. He comes back to God. God even makes him the offer. He says, I'll wipe them out and start the game with you. They can be called the children of Moses instead of Abraham. You can be the pioneer of the whole nation. And Moses says, no. No, what will the heathens say? That you are not able to bring them in? It's wonderful, so wonderful. He's prevailing with God. And then you get this wonderful verse when it says in verse 10, Exodus 32, verse 10, God says to Moses, let me alone that my anger might burn against them that I might destroy them. It's like Moses, God says, let me alone. And Moses says, no, I won't, I won't. Imagine a man coming to God and God saying, get off my back. (laughs) And Moses says, no, I won't. And prevails. 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 That's prayer. Let me alone. You've got that power? God can't just brush him. No, no, this is Moses, my servant. He can't brush him aside. Beloved, your sons and daughters of the living God, can't brush you aside. Let's learn to pray. This mighty weapon. No, they're your people. P.T. Forsyth says this, most magnificent quote. Lose the importunity of prayer. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet in time you will lose the reality of prayer. So he doesn't, he doesn't despise. And some will say, well, I don't, I don't actually shut the door and get alone with God. I kind of talk to God all the time. And he doesn't despise that. It's as precious as that is. Precious as that is to be, you know, in Sainsbury's when you're talking to God. I mean, Nehemiah is talking to his boss and he's talking to God at the same time. It's great. 
But Forsyth saying, you lose the importunity, the sense of will against will. This, this amazing kind of center of prayer. And in the end, you will drift from what prayer is offering us. He prayed fervently. He prayed with importunity. What does that mean? Well, it means he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't take no for an answer. Pray, and he said to his servant, go and look. And then it says he said it seven times. And we can read it like that. He said, go and look seven times. But it obviously means he went, go and look. And he went and looked. And it was like one of those Mediterranean skies you long for when you go on your holiday. <laughs> it's just blue sky and there's not a cloud in sight. And he comes back to Elijah and says, pure Mediterranean sky is clear. And he prays again, prays again. Now go and look again. And he goes again, comes back, no, not a cloud in the sky. Praise, praise, praise. Go and look again. I mean, this is, go and look again. Seven times. Seven times. That's opportunity. It's not letting go. He won't let go. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not give up. What's the easiest thing about praying? Giving up. So I don't feel like it. No, no, no. Pray yourself into prayer. Praying with importunity. Carson says, we're like the naughty boy who goes to the door, rings the bell, and runs away. <laughs> no, we need to keep at it. We need to keep at it. Jesus told two parables. And they're strange, really. One is the friend at midnight. Someone comes to him, have you got? No, I haven't, but I know somebody who has. In the middle, bang, bang, give me, give me two loaves. Go away. Give me two loaves. Go away, go away. Give me two loaves. Stop. We're in bed, clear off. Two loaves, two loaves. It says in the end, ah. Oh. But not because he's a friend, but because of his shameless persistence. Jesus says this. Now you see, does that, does that mean God's asleep? And, no, no, it's obviously there's something being communicated here that delights in urgency, prevailing. And then he told the story of the, the woman who goes to the unjust judge and says, give me justice. And the judge says, go away, woman, go away. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And she says, go away, go away. And in the end he says, you better do this for her. She's going to hurt me. The actual text says, she will bruise me. See, now Jesus, now those two stories come down out of heaven, out of the lips of Jesus to us. That something about persistence, God loves. You see, sometimes we can play one thing and go, oh, my father wouldn't like that. I don't think of my father like that. But I, mean, it's not, I don't care what you think of your father. It's Jesus, what he says. <laughs> and we need to take that seriously. We take the whole of Scripture seriously. And it's Jesus who told these stories. So there's something about persistence that delights his heart. It's somehow honoring him. It's somehow saying, we are so dependent on you, Lord. We can't just run this church now. It's not, oh, we've got church growth principles now. I've got a motor for my boat. I don't need the white wind. The old guys used to have sails. <laughs> we've got church principles now. Who needs sails? I need God. You need God. 
We need the wind of the Spirit. We need the wind of the Spirit. We desperately need the wind of the Spirit. Andrew Murray says this, oh, what a deep heavenly mystery this is of persevering prayer. The God who has promised, who longs, whose fixed purpose is to give the blessing, holds it back. He trains us in the school of answer delayed to find out how our perseverance really does prevail and what the mighty power is we can wield in heaven if we do but set ourselves to it. The power that's latent, the power that's there, the promises are great. Yonggi Cho once again, in prayer, in prayer, the Christian enters into the priestly function of providing an earthly base for God's heavenly interests. This age has become a battleground of two opposing forces, but God has a group in the foreign land that is able to bring the influence of the age to come into this age. The way that the world experiences the dominion of Christ on this present world is through the exercising of the church's authority, particularly in prayer. So he's saying, the way God's sovereignty has worked out, because he's got this, this foreign group, this group, this the church, in the nation. So you can see that illustrated. Jesus says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go. Well, they go. What do they do? They hit the Sanhedrin. These northern fishermen, they're in the big cities, the big guys. They say, stop that. You see what we did to your leader? You're in trouble. Stop now. And what do they do? I love it. The prayer in Acts 4. Oh, sovereign Lord. They withdraw and they come to God. Oh, despotis, that's the Greek word, the word from which we get our word despot. Now, we usually associate despot with something pretty ugly, but it just means absolute power. And, and they come beyond the Sanhedrin, they come to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, hear their threats. See their, and Lord, stretch forth your hand, grant us boldness, do signs and wonders. They demonstrate who's the king around here. All authority. Through prayer, Cho is saying, it's through prayer, through the group in the foreign land who will demonstrate who's the king around here through their praying. And that's exactly what happens. The spirit comes, the building shakes, they're filled with boldness, signs and wonders carry on. The lordship of Christ is outworked through a praying church. It demonstrates the praying church, the power of God. I love what Bill Bill. Uh, Paul Bilheimer says, prayer is where the action is. Any church without a well-organized and systematic prayer program is simply operating a religious treadmill. Prayer is where the action is. His great book, Destined for the Throne. You want to read that? What a book about prayer. Destined for the Throne. He's saying the church is learning to rule through prayer during this lifetime. If you read someone like Jim Simbala, I get so uh, impressed by these guys who've learned, who've broken through, who inspire us, motivate us. We need the encouragement. I was preaching last year and the year before, actually, in a church in Springfield, Missouri, 
I was invited to speak to a men's conference, and I went, they said, there'll be 3,000 men. So I went, and they said, oh, well, you will come? I said, yes, I, yeah, I'll come, I feel fit to come. Oh, great, will you stay to the Sunday? Uh, yeah, I will. Oh, good, there'll be 8,000 on the Sunday. 8,000 in two buildings on each side of Springfield, 5,000-seater, 4,000-seater, 8,000. I went, I th- whoa, what a church. I super fellowship with the pastor, his two sons, the two executive pastors of the two sites. Mighty, mighty. And I'm asking him questions. And he said, well, he said, Jim Simbala came through here. He spoke to us as a church. He said, that's changed our church life. Every Wednesday, we gather to pray. Everyone knows that's, that's the meeting of the week that matters. It's exactly what Jim Simbala says. From this day on, he says, the prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens on, for him Tuesday night will be the gauge by which God blesses us. We're a praying force. And he'd been to this church. I went back again next year. It was 9,000 now. 9,000. Listen, Springfield population, 120,000. 120,000. 9,000 in this church. Wow, that's impressive. And they pray, they pray. I follow this guy on Twitter now. Nearly every Wednesday, I see his Twitter go out to his church. Don't forget tonight. Come out tonight. Be there tonight. We're fighting tonight. I think, oh, I love this man. I love this man. I love this church. What a church. What a praying force. Beloved, we're being invited by God to give ourselves to prayer, to learn from the Scripture, to go after God, I've been praying again for revival, more again, looking into books on revival, stirred about it. I thought, well, what will revival look like? You know, you read about Whitfield, wonderful, isn't it? But I think I'm not sure there'll be another Whitfield character on our streets now. That won't, I don't know that that will happen. I thought, Lord, how can this happen? What will happen? And some months ago, probably a year ago now, I began to pray. I felt maybe the growth of prayer meetings Maybe that would be the first sign that you're on the, on the move. And I began to pray, Lord, would you raise up prayer meetings? Would you let us start hearing people beginning to gather to pray? That's what happened at the beginning of the 1859 revival. Jeremiah Lamphere in New York. One man, he said, I'm going to have a prayer meeting. Lunchtime in his office in New York. First week, I think six guys turned up just before it finished. Then it grew, grew, grew. 20 people, 50 people. Then there was a run on the banks in New York. People began to pray. Lunchtime, lunchtime, prayer meetings. All the churches started opening. In the end, there were thousands, thousands praying every lunchtime in New York. And then God came. 1859 revival. One million people added to the church in America in that year. A million people added to the church. 1859. That swept over to Ulster, Coleraine, across Northern Ireland, into Scotland, down into England. One million people added to the British church the following year. A million people. It's all recorded. You can read all about it. Edwin Orr's great book, The Second Great Awakening. All stats and figures, numbers. On the back of that, you get the Cambridge Seven You get this university surge. Hudson Taylor's gone to China. It's like a wave went round the world. 
It really is like a wave. That went, this wave of revival that ended in missionary thrust. God on the move. Beloved, it started when a guy began to pray. And prayer meetings began to multiply. It didn't seem to be too long after that that I heard from Mike, we're doing this thing called Enough. What's that, Mike? What are you talking about? And he began to tell me about people gathering to pray. 2,000? What are you talking about, Mike? Yeah, 2,000. People beginning to pray. Oh, I'm so excited. The last few weeks, thy kingdom come. What's happening? Cathedrals filled with praying people. Oh, beloved, God wants us praying. When God's about to work, I think it was Murray McShane who said, he sets his people praying. He sets his people praying. It's so great to be here. Let's follow through. Beloved, we only pray corporately, though it's such a wonderful way to pray. Let's learn to pray ourselves. Let's learn the difference between legalism and discipline. Beware legalism. I hate legalism. It stinks. But I found discipline helpful. I'm not trying to earn points. Jesus has won all the points I need. He's qualified me. Hallelujah. But let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray. Let's ask people, help me to pray. Let's find a place you love to be alone with God. You get answers. You get specific. You get to know him better. We get some breakthrough. If we're going to see church plants, no good going up if we're not absolutely covered in believing prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our being together. Thank you for every place where people are gathering, even now, following us online. What a joy, Lord, for fellowship, even across the nations together now. And Father, we, we just look to you to blow your wonderful wind. Fill our sails, Lord. Fill our sails. Please, Father, in the name of Jesus, may we feel the tug. May we feel the Spirit at work in us. May we begin to feel it. Hey, I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm, something's happening in my heart. Oh, Father, we just look to you that we may lay hold of you. We may learn to pray. We may obtain answers. We may be the people who know God. Lord, bless us. Free us from all human endeavors, all just plastic copies. We want the authentic relationship with God. We long for it, Father. We pray, bless this word to us. Bless our evening together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.